Welcome. You're listening to In The Room, the podcast. Our host, international moderator and MC, Veda Sanasi, creates a meeting point to amplify the valuable voices of our community. From prominent icons to everyday people, In The Room is an opportunity to share their journeys, their perspectives, and boldest aspirations towards tackling global challenges. Ultimately, contributing to rewriting the definition of leadership for the 21st century. Have you ever been part of or craved for a community that just feels like you belong in it? Like you get them and they get you, like your values are aligned and you agree on a common sense of purpose or a sense of being. Finding, let alone thriving in such a community is really hard these days. Whether these communities meet physically or virtually, given the current global context, it turns out that it takes a fair amount of thoughtful and deliberate planning and engineering to make communities thrive. I recently had the pleasure of talking to three remarkable leaders who have played a key role in building and sustaining global communities. My first guest in this episode is Ms. Letha Filderman, the president of PopTech, a community of doers and thinkers committed to robust exchange, instigation, and action. I am also joined by Ms. Cheryl Dorsey, the president of Echoing Green, a community of social entrepreneurs from across the world. My third and last guest is Ms. Joanna Sparber, the global director of Impact at The Conduit, a diverse community of changemakers committed to impacting the world positively. So what does it take to build a vibrant, robust, and enduring community? How do you build a culture and a set of practices that make people want to belong to it. Let's find out from Letha, Cheryl, and Joanna, who make a living out of community building. My name is Veda Sanasi, and welcome to yet another episode of In The Room, the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, uh, the first person joining us today is um, Ms. Cheryl Dorsey, the president of Echoing Green. Um, the second guest is Ms. Joanna Sparber, the director of Global Impact at The Conduit. And then Ms. Letha Filderman, who is the president of PopTech. Um, Ms. Cheryl Dorsey is the president of Echoing Green. Um, she is a trailblazer in social entrepreneurship, in the social entrepreneurship movement. She was herself an Echoing Green fellow back in 1992 and launched the Family Van, a community-based mobile health unit in Boston. She has served under two presidential administrations, first as a White House fellow and special assistant to the U.S. Secretary of Labor, then as a special assistant to the director of the Women's Bureau of the U.S. Labor Department and the vice chair um, uh, for the President's Commission on White House Fellowship. That was her most recent uh, work with the White House. So please join me in welcoming uh, Ms. Cheryl Dorsey. Thank you. Our second guest is Ms. Joanna Sparber, or Joanna, um, uh, who is the global director of Impact at The Conduit. Joanna was the deputy head of the Forum of Young Global Leaders at the World Economic Forum. She was responsible for strategy growth and impact of the community, has also headed the engagement and relationship management with all three constituents that make um, uh, uh, the World Economic Forum. That's Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship, Young Global Leaders, and the Global Shapers. Please join me again in welcoming Joanna um, Sparber. Welcome. Thank you. Last but not least, we have Ms. Letha Filderman, who is the president of PopTech. She's an expert in the field of social, social innovation, public health, and social justice. She currently oversees a portfolio focused on global health, environment, social justice, nuclear, 
non-proliferation and the future of work at PopTech. She's also a fellow at the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce based in the UK. Thank you very much for joining us as well, Letha. Thanks. All right, let's get straight into it. Um, we're done with in introductions. Uh, there are a lot of grounds I want to cover. Um, I want to start with what I'm going to call the origin stories. I know all of you know about PopTech, about Echoing Green and the Conduit, but it's good for us to know um, their history. I want to start with PopTech. PopTech Pop describes itself as a community of doers and thinkers committed to robust exchange, instigation, and action. And if I'm not mistaken, PopTech is uh, about to enter its third decade of existence. Um, Letha, tell us a bit more about how PopTech came about 30 years ago. And tell us how has it evolved over those decades to the community that you have today? Sure. Um, so thanks for having me. And uh, Pop, PopTech uh, was founded by two iconic people in the, you know, kind of the dawn of, of mass, uh, I guess, mass connectivity. So our, our two founders are Bob Metcalf, who actually is the inventor of Ethernet, um, and John Scully, who was the stand-in CEO at Apple for a couple of years when Mr. Jobs was on a, what I would best describe as a forced sabbatical. Um, and they, uh, they were friends. They founded PopTech uh, out of a desire to get a conversation started on uh, around what the, the impact on society would be of these rapidly and exponentially growing technologies. And they, they really wanted to create a forum that uh, provided insight into how technology and, and all of the capacity that surrounded technology at that time. Um, and you have to remember that was before the advent of the mobile phone when they started PopTech, um, seems like about a million years ago. Uh, they really had questions about how this would relate to how we formed community, how we would communicate with one another as individuals um, what the impact would be on privacy and, and justice issues. Um, so obviously, a lot of the evolution we've made over the years, that, that's still our base and a lot of what guides some of the things we do. But our you know, the, the organization has evolved over those decades, um, mostly at the instigation of the community itself. We went on to f about 15 years ago to create a, a fellows program that has global reach at this point, and then at the instigation again of the community to create platforms that could act on the things people were hearing about uh, through the forum. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Thank you, and, and we'll learn more about um, uh, PopTech in, in a bit as we sort of unpack the, the theme uh, of the day. Um, uh, Cheryl, I want to turn to you and, and talk a little bit about Echoing Green, also around for, if I'm not mistaken, just over 30 years now, 33 years um, in existence. Um, and, and the way you describe, the, the way Echoing Ring is described is a community that seeks to discover emerging social entrepreneurs and invest deeply in the growth of their ideas and leadership. And I want to mention that you and Echoing Green are the reason why we are all gathered here because <laughs> Echoing Green were the first um, uh, community to, to really recognize um, uh, Chris Bradford and Fred Swanicker as they came up with the idea of ALA, provided them, if I'm not mistaken, with the first funding that then unleashed whatever we're experiencing right now. And that was a good, um, you know, f almost 15 years ago now. 
Tell us a bit more about Echoing Green as a community and how has it evolved, obviously since inception and you being a fellow in 1992, um, then picking up the likes of, of Fred and Chris, uh, you know, in, in the 2000s to, to where we are now today. No, well, thanks for having me. Uh, so yes, Beta, as you mentioned, Echoing Green has been around since 1987, uh, and we are one of the pioneers of the social innovation movement uh, and really have um, set out to um, do the work of being an early funder of emerging social entrepreneurs. So being that place that folks with a lot of passion, with an amazing idea, um, but maybe the world can't see their genius and their gift yet coming to Echoing Green to get just a little bit of support, um, invitation to our community or I don't even say uh, community, I say our family, um, and just sort of a soft place to land as you're going about trying to change the world with all of the um, slings and arrows you have to take to do that and just finding a place of comfort and care as you go about doing that work. And since that time, um, we've invested in close to 900 social entrepreneurs working in about 86, 87 countries around the world. And it's really just been remarkable to see folks who um, are deeply going about the work of social innovation uh, at the intersection of social justice. Um, and when you look at the field of social innovation, um, Echoing Green has sort of created what I think is a, just a remarkable um, lane where number one, there's a deep belief um, that the work of social innovation really has to be about the work of movement building, right? That there's so many structural inequities um, when you're trying to take down oppressive and extractive forces that um, this is the work of movements to deconstruct that. And you need folks who are really thinking about um, innovation, not just as a force for good, but also as a force for justice. Um, so being much more explicit about naming that has been something um, that's really important to Echoing Green's um, evolution over the years. And also, really celebrating uh, and naming and raising up this notion of proximity, right? So those closest to the problem are always going to be those that we believe are going to come up with the most um, critical and gifted and important solutions. So how do we think about diversifying and bringing new um, and inclusive voices into the movement. So over the course of the years, as well, as you see our community, um, we, I believe, have really built one of the most inclusive and diverse communities in the sector. Um, and I hope folks will go to the Echoing Green website because we just announced our new class of uh, fellows about a week or two ago. And um, we're just thrilled. It's 100% BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, 70% women, um, recognizing um, and really stating and owning that talent, and you all know this as well as we do, talent is um, equally distributed, opportunity is not. So how do you build a community um, that sets about um, making opportunity available to more folks in as equitable a way as possible? Brilliant. That, that is, that is uh, wonderful to hear. Um, I have to ask Cheryl, um, as somebody who was a fellow in the fifth class who has stuck around um, 27 years later. Are you an anomaly or is that the norm in the Echoing Green family since you don't want to use the word community? Yeah, no, it, it, it is a family and it, it is not an anomaly. And, you know, you've got to sort of look at the, the, the history that really does tell the story of an organization and it just sort of becomes part of your DNA and gets into your blood. So um, I'm not the only fellow who works for the organization. Our head of impact, Laura Weidman Powers, um, is a 2014 Echoing Green Fellow. Um, she was working in Silicon Valley on um, diversifying the ranks of, of tech, um, bringing more black 
Black and Latinx folks into technology. Um, we've got um, three Echoing Green fellows in addition to myself on the board of Echoing Green. Um, every year as we're going about launching our new class of fellowships, we rely on dozens and dozens and dozens of Echoing Green alums to help us vet and find those applicants to make sure that they are being welcomed into our application process in as equitable and an inclusive way as possible, providing them with mentoring and support every step of the way. Um, so this is about, you know, each one, teach one, I'm walking alongside the next generation and making sure that um, every step of the way, folks are abs uh, absorbing um, the values and the culture of the organization so I would say I'm definitely not the exception. I think this is what this community, this community is all about. Thank you. And we will unpack um, in inclusiveness and diversity in a few. I want to turn quickly to, to Joanna. Joanna, you represent the youngest of the three communities represent, uh, uh, represented on this platform today, um, the conduit, the conduit which is described as a home for a diverse community of people passionate about positive impact. Can you tell us about the origin story of The Conduit, which I believe was founded two years ago, correct? Um, what prompted the need for what you guys call a members club, but with a social purpose? So, I mean, thank you so much for having me. Um, I mean, I think to start with, I think the, the conduit doesn't see it's, itself as a members club. So I, I will start there. And I think um, that is one of the areas that we sort of don't describe us as. Um, but in terms of our original story, like my sort of background in terms of being part of lots of different communities, we have three founders at the conduit um, and each of them are very active in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, philanthropy. Um, and they came together and have been talking about all the different communities that they're part of, but how none of those communities were really holistic in terms of being together all stakeholders from different sectors, industries, um, and different points of view. So it was kind of the social entrepreneur community. It was the impact investing community. It was the kind of next gen community. But there wasn't a space where, you know, the impact investors could be with the social entrepreneurs, could be with the business leaders, could be with the government um, innovators. And so they really set out to say, okay, well, you know, the challenge facing us today are huge. To really enable change, you need to provide a space for collaboration and the collaboration across different sectors and industries. And how could we actually create a home for that? And so that's how The Conduit was born. So it was actually born about four or five years ago in terms of us trying to conceive what we were trying to do and how we wanted to do it. Um, we physically opened two years ago. Um, and so the conduit really came about by saying, okay, well, everyone goes to all of these different meetings around the world. You see it on the call today. You have so much enthusiasm and energy when people get together, but then you have to, you know, trade off between, are you going to network and meet people or are you going to attend the events that that event is putting on? Um, and we just thought that was a, a choice you shouldn't have to make. You know, how do you therefore create a space, a physical space that enables people to connect with like-minded peers throughout the year? that you can serendipitously connect with people, but also be put in touch with different folks that you think um, would be interesting for you to connect with or the community think uh, it would be interesting for you to connect with. But then also have a kind of robust events um, program and content program that really showcased and provided a platform for the change makers out there. Um, so the conduit was born from the sense of, okay, well, we understand the importance of capital. We believe in the power of social entrepreneurship to change the world. How do we bring those two worlds together and create a physical space? Um, and so as we were conceiving, how do you even make that sustainable? 
Um, you know, you can't just have a, a great space where people can come together in a great program um, without some sort of business model. And so as we were looking at it, we were actually trying to figure out what was a sustainable business model which would prop up the community and our events program. And so that's when we stumbled on um, a members club model. Um, but it also enabled us to say, okay, well, when do you get your best work done? It's usually when you have a space to kind of come together where there's a great energy and vibe around you, where you can sit down and actually like break bread with people, share a drink, um, have breakfast with uh, people, build that kind of trust and authenticity and engagement. Um, and so actually a members club from a business model perspective actually worked for us. So it's very much secondary to who we are. Um, and first and foremost, it's very much about the sort of community of change makers we've brought together, our events program that acts as that kind of catalytic platform, and then all of the kind of activities we do around our physical space to actually bring people together in a collaborative way. Um, so now we have over 3,600 members. And yes, we turn, we turn two um, in September. So coming up very soon. Excellent. And this, this must be interesting times for, for you guys because clearly the physical space is an integral and important part of how the community convenes. And, and that's what I want to talk about for this next part of our conversation. Essentially, how do you build communities? And, and, and right now, it seems that a lot of the research is showing that, um, especially during this sort of lockdown pandemic, the world seems to be going crazy kind of time. Everybody is craving for communities. However, it is probably one of the hardest times in human existence to be able to be part of a community, at least a physical community. When you think about building a vibrant community within which there is a strong sense of belonging and commitment to the community, what principle or principles should one consider? I'm going to talk about... Um about initiation and stories. And stories is easy to me, right? So um, human beings um, are narrative creatures, right? We sort of uh, find value and understanding of the world through the stories that we tell for good or for ill, right? Um, so I do think um, sort of uh, narrative as a tool to create spaces, um, to bring people in, um, to identify the rules of the road, uh, to inspire, uh, to settle people into communities, I think is incredibly important. Um, so I think you can't do the work without sort of the signaling impact of stories. Um, I think, you know, maybe unique um, or important Echoing Green is sort of the process of initiation. Um, and for us, um, we sort of have an annual rhythm uh, to the way that we do uh, the work at Equine Green, where we've got sort of an annual, uh, really sort of a long process of going out into community, um, telling folks that if you've got an idea and you're looking to get started, you might want to consider um, reaching out to Echoing Green. Um, and then we begin a conversation and a relationship with folks. Um, and over the course of the year, through our multi-phase application process, um, to us, it's not about exclusion because I, I just I bristle at that word because so much of society really um, that has notions around sort of exclusion and who has value and who doesn't. Um, initiation is is for me more about how do you make clear 
the values of your community, what you stand for, what you provide, and sort of what are the responsibilities and understanding of what you're expected to give um, if you become a member of this community, and then sort of taking folks through that process. Um, so there's some sweat equity that's built along the way um, that becomes a, important, a really, really important predicate for then how you give back and think about your role in relationship to um, the broader collective. So I think Franklin Green, those two really resonate with me. And Sherry, if you don't mind me asking, can you maybe just share with us real quick, um, how do you leverage the stories principle at Echoing Green, both for the people who are in Echoing Green um, as fellows, um, especially the new entrants versus, you know, sort of the elders like Fred, um, uh, but also people who are on the outside who are sort of looking at what is it about these, these, these Echoing Green fellows that, 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 that's special. So how do you right. leverage the power of story? So I think it happens in a multitude of ways. So part of it is, I think there's um, using stories to invite people in. So, you know, we will often, you know, prior to the pandemic, we would go into communities, you know, we would go to a youth center and have a couple of our fellows talk about what it was like to apply to the Equine Green Fellowship. And you have folks who are very vulnerable and open who's like, I applied six times to Equine Green, but I kept applying and it really was important to me. So you can do it too and don't be discouraged. Or I applied a couple of times or here's what I did as I was um, thinking about um, my work in community and why I wanted to be an Equine Green Fellow. And then I think there's um, sort of the, the validation um, and uh, stories about sort of the heart and soul of the person and um, why you think they should be a part of the Echoing Green community. And I'll use your wonderful Chris Bradford, and I'll never forget, it was one of the most powerful letters I ever read when um, ALA student Majak um, applied to Echoing Green. And there was Chris sort of through his letter and his story about the soul and journey and extraordinary leadership potential of this young man um, told through the eyes of another Echoing Green fellow that made Majak real um, and exciting and dazzling to us, a power of a story. And then finally, trying to tell the story of our fellows um, and what a leader looks like and who she is and her value and utility in the world. Um, and just trying to disrupt the notion of who is a leader and who has, um, who has and wields power for the public good. So I think along all of those dimensions, stories really, really do matter. Absolutely. Thank you, um, uh, Cheryl. Uh, Joanna, if, I don't, if you don't mind me turning to you, can you share with us what two principles would you highlight and why? So I will, I will throw this back to you to say I would agree with everything Cheryl just said and I would choose exactly the same too. So I can either give you some extra points linked to it or I'll pick two others just not quite randomly but I will talk about two others just to mix it up. Happy to hear the extra points. Okay so I mean I think for, for us initiation is just is, is so important. Um, I mean as Cheryl said it really it really sets the foundations for how someone's going to um, join your community, interact with it and the values that they're going to take along the way, but also that kind of co-ownership and how much they're willing to curate with you as well. Um, so for us, that initiation piece is absolutely key. It's also the best opportunity for um, your 
kind of community team and whoever is looking after your community to actually get to know that individual. And so the way that we work at The Conjurer, despite the fact that we have so many members, is to still take this very personal approach, which is when you join, we want to know who you are, not what you do, but who you are. Like what really drives you? What's exciting for you? You know, how many children do you have? Do you love dogs? Whatever it might be. But we really want to know, you know, what what gets you out of bed in the morning and what do you do on the weekend? Because um, we realize that as we think about trying to connect you with people that would be useful for you in the work that you're doing, some of those connections might just become because, you know, you're a single father and so are they. And, you know, you're really struggling just to be a single father and, and work. Um, or it could be that you just really love long walks and you have nobody to go walking with. Um, so we take a real kind of broad approach to how we think about interests, expertise, passions, um, so that we actually get to know the person and can really connect them to, to like-minded people. And so initiation for us is so important at that stage. So we have that base level of knowledge. And then we can also continue to grow and actually utilize our members in the ways that they want to be. Um, and so we really set... Um, a whole process around, you know, um, it's also up to you to kind of get involved. So the more that you give, the more that you'll get. Um, and the more that you do, the more that you'll also um, be inspired to do more by your fellow members. And so our whole process at the beginning um, in terms of initiation is linked to that. Um, and then in terms of stories, I think, you know, again, um, I won't repeat what uh, Cheryl said because I agree with everything, but I think it also show it, it enables you to really showcase the incredible individual work your community members are doing. It enables you to showcase the collaborations between your community members and actually what's going on behind the scenes. And I think it also enables, especially for communities, um, and especially for communities like ours, you know, it's really hard to measure impact um, in terms of what is the impact of a community. And a lot of it has to come from those stories. So, you know, I know that Cheryl and I met at this event and I'm now sitting on her board or, you know, Cheryl and I met and um, now um, Pepe is advising her on, you know, one of the companies in her portfolio. Um, and so I think, you know, being able to tell stories and actually use that as a means to show the impact of your community is also extremely, extremely powerful. Um, but it also builds loyalty. Um, communities want to hear what their other community members are doing. Um, they don't know what they don't know. And when you have such a large community, it's impossible to know, you know, lots of people. But yet there could be so many people out there who are doing things similar to you or actually very different, but that there's actually a part of it that's very applicable to help you scale the work that you're doing because it's an entry into a new country or an entry into a new product um, or just thinking about, you know, technology being adopted for something else. And so using stories as a, as a way to do that and actually share what your community is working on is really key to us. I, I just have to ask you if you could briefly comment on, to the extent that you can, what is it about your initiation that you do that push people to understand that it's a co-ownership and that's the word that you use, that there's a co-ownership in it in terms of their engagement? Because people are busy. People want to be able to enter a place where everything is taken care of, everything is clear. How do I do this? What do I get from this? How do you get people there? Or is it a matter of in your selection, you are that good that you're able to bring in people that you're like, okay, you've already checked up. The co you've got that value of co-ownership. Can you comment on that real quick? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a great question and it's, and it's really difficult. Um, I think it also really depends on the individual coming in and what their needs and wants and expectations are. 
I mean, we're very different from, you know, um, uh, Echoing Green and other communities like that, but it's not just for kind of social enterprises kind of scaling your work. Um, we've got people from all different sectors doing very, very different things. Um, and so for us, it's, it's, it's more about giving multiple opportunities for people to engage at a very early level. Um, a lot of the onus is on them. We do do a significant reach out to them, but they also want, need to want to actually know what's going on. Um, and so we have a sort of a communications plan, um, an engagement plan that we have for every individual member, um, which means if you, if you didn't volunteer yourself at the beginning to really engage with us one-on-one, we will catch you at a three-month point to kind of check in and find out how things are going. And if we didn't get a chance to talk to you then, um, we will we'll talk to you at that point. Um, it's also linked into all the sort of different activities we do. So um, we have multiple teams who have kind of community building at the heart of what they do. And so one of the other teams that I work with is our kind of program of events team. And so it's their mandate that at every single event they go to, they need to meet whoever they don't know yet. Um, Obviously, that's a bit hard if you have 100 people in the room, but after a while, you know, you have your frequent attendees and you can, you know, uh, make a beeline for the people that you, you don't know so well. Um, and then I think it's, it's really, you know, sharing in the best interest um, and, and playing on that in terms of, of people's time. Because at the end of the day, to become a member of the conduit, you, you do have to pay to become a member and people want to get value out of things they pay for. And so making it sure it's, it's clear mm. that it's in their interest to talk to us <laughs> mm. um, helps then set the tone and also manage their expectations. Because if we got it wrong and they joined and they're expecting a community that focuses on, I don't know, purely food sustainability, that's not what you're going to get. You will get part of that. But if that's mm. all you care about, we probably are going to disappoint you. And that's also not good to have that in the community. Mm. So mm. It, it's also really about managing expectations so people also know what they can, can involve with, what they can start up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, if we're not doing it, that co-ownership comes in. So go for it. Just start yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Lisa, I want to turn to you now. Curious to know, uh, just knowing the sort of the interesting group of people that you get, you bring together at PopTech, what two principles would you say um, are non-negotiables for you? So, um, you know, I, I think obviously stories, you know, I'm not going to be redundant, so I'm going to force myself to push the envelope here because stories was my top one. Um, and obviously stories are are incredibly important because it's how you demonstrate the weaving of the fabric of your community or your organization. Um, And it's a conduit to share values and aspirations. Um, And we've made storytelling a big part of PopTech for for its entire history um, through multiple different pathways. So I'm going to push myself to look at a couple of other of these uh, principles. And I think one is ritual. And um, rituals are really interesting because they, they too allow you to uh, convey aspiration, convey shared values, sense of purpose. And, you know, when I think back to my now 15 years uh, at PopTech, so much of, you know, sometimes the rituals weren't even obvious to me until I really sat down and thought about, like, why do we always start the conference in a certain way, you know, which is a usually a little two-minute video that it, it kind of gets everybody to, hey, it's time to pay attention, you know, it's time to stop talking, 
And, and we've used that to that little two minute piece to sort of set the framework for what's ahead on the journey for the next few days of the conference. And, and in many ways to say, this is what we hope you will be driven to uh, by going through this experience. So for the conference, there, there are multiple rituals. We always start with a big dinner for everybody as a way to bring people together who um, haven't been together for the year. In many cases, people see each other once a year when they come to that forum. And it's a really important way to welcome new people to the community. And, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a critical miss if you don't think about that. Um, you know, how do you build in moments where you welcome peop- newcomers in and make them feel comfortable um, and, and to avoid that click syndrome that often happens, you know, when there's a group of people who have been, been coming together for multiple years or at multiple moments. Um, and then with our fellows program, there, there are just a multitude of rituals in that. Um, you know, it's keeping the alumni engaged and tapping them, you know, at a certain time every year to say, hey, we're looking for a new class of fellows, much like Cheryl does. And, and to really ask them to, to put their best thinking forward in, in terms of how do we grow this, this part of the pop tech uh, community. Um, it's, it's, simple little things like we always have dinner at the same place the first night when people are weary and traveling all day. Um, and, and we always, you know, in the past have done something fun like a bowling tournament. And, you know, because people in our program come from all over the world there, some of them are like, what, what is bowling? Like, what, what do you mean I'm going to go bowl? And, you know, at first people are like, you know, there's always the ringer bowler that has like the perfect form and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I know. And, and, and the others are like a little bit like, what the heck? And then pretty soon you just see this camaraderie building. And I realized like, at first I just thought that's a fun departure and then I realized that, that that bowling thing really served a purpose. It, it brought people together. It broke down, you know, kind of the barriers to people. Um, it was a bonding tool in, in many ways. And then, you know, we always had a closing dinner where we really acknowledged the hard work people went through during, during that, that boot camp part of the program and, and really acknowledged the contributions the faculty make. Uh, which mm-hmm. are enormous. Um, so rich ritual is really, really important. Um, and like I said, sometimes they rituals develop by accident almost, or you don't see them happening. And then when do you wake up and go, you know, we do that all the time. And let's talk about what the purpose of that is and what the return value is to different parts of our community. Um, and then the other area I'm going to touch on is inner circles. So inner circles for me are that's kind of a mixed bag. So sometimes I think of them in a, a little bit of a negative way, like, oh God, that's sort of exclusive and it's walling off a little segment of, of the community or the organization. And you know, and yet I know just in how I think how I work with what I would best call inner circles, like those those individuals or organizations that I go to. And, and so when I think of inner circle, I don't think it as a, a, of, of an inner circle as an exclusive thing or a negative aspect or a way to push others away. It, it really has 
become my mentor network. Like I, I love having mentors. I early, early in my career, I had three amazing mentors that really changed my life on multiple levels. I mean, one of them I always refer to as like my second dad, because he, he kind of ca- caught me when I was sort of a full formed person, but not professionally fully formed. So my inner circles often been a mentor network. Um, it's often like when you're stuck and you're like, how do we make this pivot? And I mean, certainly this year, inner circles for all of us have been pretty important as we, you know, we all are in this pandemic together. We're all experiencing some of the, not all the challenges, but many of them simultaneously and similarly. And, and having a group that you, that you deeply trust and that you, you see as trusted advisors, that's where I see inner circles being incredibly important. Um, and for at PopTech, I realized when I thought about that, that, that notion of, of inner circle, I realized we have multiple inner circles within the organization. We have a curatorial group that helps look at who do we invite to speak at the conference. We have the fellows faculty that, that really shapes what that program looks like. We have a, an inner circle that that looks at various initiatives we're working on, and each of those initiatives has a kind of a, a what I would best def- define as a, the guiding energy source. So I think of inner circles kind of like the solar system, like they they orbit. The circles aren't they aren't just standing out there separately and and siloed. They people go in and out of that inner circle and they kind of cross into circles. I have people that, you know, work in multiple inner circles in the, the organization because they have certain skills or talents or, or the energy. Um, so I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm interested in exploring is how do we look at inner circles as not being exclusive in a negative way, but actually key part of the well-being of the organization. Yeah, and thank you for mentioning that. Uh, first of all, for highlighting what sometimes we, we we don't appreciate that seemingly mundane things like a dinner or getting everybody to go bowling together can end up being a very very powerful ritual. Especially community builders very often are thinking, you know, what is like the amazing ritual that's going to be this grand thing? When in reality, at its very core, a ritual is meant to cause emotion, to evoke emotion and to bring people together. And if you can hit those two things through a lovely dinner or a bowling match, why not, right? So I, I really appreciate you, you highlighting that and also commenting on the inner ring, which I think is the one that makes people most uncomfortable because the reality is at the end of the day, there are elements of exclusion in what we do. We are a fellowship, you apply, somebody can apply six times and still may not get into it. So there is that, there is a boundary, um, but it is important to know why the boundary exists and that it is not necessarily a negative thing that may be you as a fellow need to build certain skills before you are able to benefit fully from, um, as a potential fellow, fellow rather, before you are um, ready to be able to benefit from everything else that the community is ready to give to you and you also are better equipped to contribute. I'm going to shift real quick to one thing before I, I, I bring it to, to the audience. Uh, some good questions coming in. Something else that we've been talking about is this idea of customer obsession and maybe in your case you want to think of it as 
member obsession. And, and obviously, you know, the likes of Jeff Bezos talks about it a lot. Amazon prides itself for being customer obsessed. But what's interesting is that there are some interesting trends at the moment. You look at the likes of, you know, Lego, which is supposed to be a brand essentially positioned as a toy and brick set for kids, but now building global communities of innovators. You look at Peloton, right, who position themselves as a streaming cycling classes in the comfort of your home. They've built a community of over 1 million people who are doing workout together. My question is, is this just a function of the modern age customer or member of any community? Or has there always been something about the power of communities that a lot of people are only coming to realize and appreciate now? I'll leave this question to anyone who wants to pick it. I'll, th I'll take a little stab at that um, quickly. I, you know, I, I thought the examples you gave were kind of fascinating. So, you know, when I think of Lego and, and I, you know, I think that's about co-creating and, and obviously it's a key part of the integrity of a community is the ability to create something together that has meaning to, to the members and ideally beyond the, the core members. Um, when I think of Peloton, there's this, you know, as much as we all might not want to admit it, the, the need to compete. <laughs> um, and I guess you could say, well, that's, you know, that's kind of an example of healthy competing. I, I do ride a Peloton bike. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, I'm, I'm not as obsessed by the leaderboard, but my husband's totally into it. Like, he, he forgets he's working out because he's more worried about beating, you know, somebody uh, else on the thing. And I'm just like, I find it a little annoying, but it, that touches on competitive spirit, which is part of the human uh, element. And, and, you know, for me, I, I think there's, you know, all of us, I think there's a, a part of our basic makeup as human beings is we want to belong to something. And we want to feel like we contribute. And I think we want to have those contributions acknowledged in some way. And for different people, the, the magnitude of that acknowledgement need changes. And, and I think, you know, we're all uh, pretty much guided by this idea of bringing value to our lives and to the lives of others. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. The only thing I would add is, you know, uh, Amazon doesn't quite fit in that list. I do like the Peloton and Lego uh, example. Um, and to me, it's about sort of identity and affinity, right? Um, and sort of, you know, that that your, your space um, and sort of where do you find sort of like-minded travelers, um, which I think is a really powerful sort of human um, emotion and need. Um, so I think that fits well. Um, but I think also... Um, the notion of um, how are you accountable or not um, to your quote unquote customer I mean being very clear about what those parameters are right so the level of transparency and accountability um, is yours to set but I think once you set it being um, very um, uh, you know, being very rigorous about holding true um, to sort of how you interface with your your customer or your uh, or or your community members. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, and I, I would just add that. Sorry, I mean, I think communities have always been there, right? Um, you know, community at heart, and some of the best examples are communities that spring out around community centers or churches um, or places of worship. And so they've always been around um, and I think they've always been a huge tool in terms of giving that sense of belonging, giving that sense of affinity 
um, and, you know, bringing people together. It's just as, you know, maybe people move more away from religion these days or as people are realising that there's lots of different subset communities they can be part of, a lot of other companies or organisations is just thinking about how do you harness that power of community um, to affect change and whatever it might be that you're doing. Excellent. Whew. Such nuggets of wisdom, so much to absorb. Cheryl, Joanna, Letha, I cannot, cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for this wisdom, for your experience, for your insights. We really, really, truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. One of the things that is a quintessentially human experience is our ability to gather in communities. Having spent the last six months with limited human interactions, we probably all miss these special moments when we could commune, whether around a bonfire or on the dance floor or in a prayer room. Hopefully, Letha, Cheryl and Joanna have reminded you of the power and importance of such communities in our lives and what it takes to build and sustain them. Hopefully, you will cherish more the kindred spirits who constitute your community or alternatively, inspire you to find a community of your own. Thank you for listening and catch you on another episode of In The Room, the podcast. Join us next time, In The Room, as we co-create the journey to enable your life's mission.